Digital acceleration is here. Health systems are walking the path, but are they in the right direction? Welcome to Patient Journey Pioneers, roadmaps from the top digital leaders in healthcare who share insights and strategies that are pushing the patient journey to new heights. This podcast is brought to you by Hiro, and I'm your host, Liat Kozuc. Great, let's do this. I'm your host, Liat, and today we have a very special guest. Dr. Jim Whitfield, Chief Transformation Officer at Honor Health, who leads digital strategy. Dr. Whitfield, it's great to have you with us today. Leon, it's great to be here. I'm really, uh, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun we're going to have today. Very excited. And first of all, congrats on your most recent award for Millennium Alliance as Healthcare Provider Innovator of the Year. Very honored to have you on the show and hear your insights today. How was winning that prize? It was really, um, I'm always moved uh, and humbled when people, um, give me a prize. And, you know, you, you, uh, I think like a lot of people, sometimes I suffer from imposter syndrome. I think, well, (laughs) if, if people only knew, you know, the real me, they would, you know, certainly never give me prizes. But uh, after a couple of decades, that doesn't seem to have sunk in. So I just, I smile and I'm, I've learned just to be grateful uh, when those come along. You're very modest, but you really are making some waves in the, in the industry. So, um, we're going to start with an interesting fact. Honor Health traces back to 1927, where at the time they provided food and medical care for folks who recently moved to Phoenix. So, Jim, tell us about your role at Honor Health and how you got to where you are today. Well, um, and, and before I do that, you, you, you put that kind of fun teaser out there, and it, it really kind of um, highlights one of my favorite things about being here, and that is our connection to the community. And we see health as much more than just medicine and illness, right? And, and that, those roots of, of trying to help uh, those who are less fortunate with uh, some basic needs like food and shelter um, still are alive today. Um, today, though, we are a complex integrated delivery healthcare delivery system. We've got over 12,000 employees, six hospitals. And as chief transformation officer, I've been really focused on how do we uh, apply new digital technologies for our customers, our patients, um, our caregivers, our nurses, our physicians, our advanced practice providers, and and even all of our employees. How do we um, how do we help uh, with making people more um, efficient and um, supported after what's been a really tough couple of years? For sure. So that actually brings me right to my first question. We're all curious. What's the most important thing you're working on today at Honor Health in your role when it comes to the digital patient experience? So. Um, you know, so many of these things are intertwined, but actually, while we've made some really nice progress um, with the our digital platform, we call it H2Go. It's um, how we uh, deliver healthcare for our uh, patients. We're really now focusing on our caregivers um, because if we don't have a, a great experience for them, our patients, you know, won't get as uh, good of experience. So. We've really doubled down this year um, in terms of mapping where are we doing well with supporting our nurses and physicians with technology and where do we have gaps. So I'm firmly, at, you know, as a physician myself, I see patients um, in one of our offices. I know the, uh, the impact that technology has on your day, uh, on the way you deliver care. So we're really excited to focus in on that piece. And we know Certainly, we're not giving up on all the work that we've been doing for the last couple of years with our patients, but uh, we think that that'll be a nice compliment. 
Amazing. And also, you know, for healthcare executives like yourself, when you're always leading digital strategy and trying to push these projects along, what are some challenges you're facing that aren't being talked about enough? The um, I think everybody and I'm a technology person, so I don't mean this to be insulting, but we always think, oh, if I just had the right software platform, the right tool set, everything would be fixed. Um, but the reality is because, you know, we have there's people that are delivering care. And so doing all of the change management um, and doing it in a way that is in concert with folks. So not imposing change on them sort of from a one sided perspective but walking with people along through that change, I think is a really critical part of um, doing it successfully. And that includes things like being able to deliver training with, you know, with things, right. making people feel comfortable with that technology. So I'm a big, I love technology. I love new, you know, there's so much fun stuff that's out there, but the reality is if we don't understand the workflow and we don't support people through the changes in their workflow, we won't be very successful. For sure. You got to be the, the right bridge to bridge between all these factors. And sometimes it's it's missed along the way. So it's really a work of art to um, implement technologies into healthcare, specifically as a very slow moving industry. Um, you spoke very passionately at Avi about workforce transformation and how online provider scheduling is going to be a pivotal direction for Honor Health. Can you share with us how you're leading that initiative and how providers are adapting to these changes? Absolutely. So there's a, a couple of pieces. We just spoke about uh, a few seconds ago around um, with every technology innovation, <clears throat> you also have to have sort of a workflow um, uh, component that goes along with it and really walk people through those changes. So at uh, Honor Health, one of the things we've worked on for the last couple of years is uh, enabling our patients to be able to digitally schedule with our uh, providers, with our physicians. And, you know, there's a technical component to that. We, um, you can, you can go through our chat bot, you can go through our uh, EMR portal, you can go actually just on honorhealth.com, you know, pretty much we'll let you schedule any way you want. <clears throat> First, we certainly had to, to build those different channels, but the other piece we had to do is work with all of our physicians to have templates that would support um, that type of, of workflow. And we have to remember that our, our physicians, uh, our advanced practice providers have been through just an incredible amount of you know, difficulty the last several years. So it's been working with them um, in parallel. And so for example, while we have as a balanced scorecard measure what percentage of our appointments are being scheduled digitally, um, we put in a balancing measure, and this is what Aaron really liked, we put in a balancing measure and we surveyed the physicians each month and we said, how happy or unhappy are you with the way your schedule you know, is working? Mm -hmm. And the reason why we did that is we said, it's not going to be a win if we create the ability of our patients to schedule digitally and yet all of our physicians are miserable, you know, with what, the way we do that. And so we wanted it to be a win both ways. That that really helped. And I want to just shout out to one of my colleagues, Dr. Melanie Patton, who really led those that, that work. And what it did is it created a space where the physicians trusted us that we weren't going mm -hmm. to, I won't use the, you know, the words that they're probably in their mind, but we're going to like um, put them in a bad place, right? That we would have mm -hmm. metrics that were measuring their experience and the patient's experience at the same time. That was really I key. love that. I love that. That is such a nice point. Um, considering both ends of the stick, right? And not just enabling, you know, schedule away and then it kind of um, 
makes them feel, I guess, a bit bitter about about the outcome. You seem like you're really good at measuring KPIs. What are some other KPIs you use to measure the success of digital transformation in general that others maybe can use? Sure. Um, one of the ones that we've, as I mentioned, you asked me earlier, what am I focused on this year? And, and it's really our experience, um, our caregivers experience with technology. So we recently went through an exercise. I'll keep everything generic, but we went through an exercise where we benchmarked our caregivers with their experience with technology against other um, large health systems, large health systems with the same EHR that we have. Um, and my goal is uh, we're about at the 85th percentile. Uh, my goal is to be at the 90th percentile or higher. Um, so that would be one. Um, we talked about the, um, you know, we're trying to get, we have about uh, 20 to 25 percent of our primary care appointments are being scheduled online. Um, we'd like to now extend that out to our specialty space. So that would be another, you know, KPI. Another, a third one kind of related to that is we measure um, with um, a national patient satisfaction company that everybody would recognize, um, patient satisfaction with scheduling, right? So that's a metric um, that we measure as well. So we want that experience to be uh, high. We, um, we explode out a, a lot of other metrics in terms of everything from the service levels in our call centers, both for IT and for uh, you know, outward facing patients. Uh, that's, that's a critical area. I, you shouldn't ask me that question because I can actually spout out KPIs all day. I'm going to stop there so that we Please can stay don't. efficient. You're actually very efficient, even more than I thought. So we have time. If anything else okay. comes to mind, really, we are here to soak in your wisdom. So feel free. Oh, you're, um, you're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to challenge you even more now. And I want to know, I know this might catch you off guard, but if you had, as Dr. Whitfield, $100 million to spend on health tech and no red tape, yeah. How would you spend it? You know, the, um, that's a really good question. And and I would actually try to do 100 different $1 million projects. And like, by the way, I don't even know, like I'm assuming we have a bunch of magic here because um, uh, the way you set it up. The reason being that there are, there is uh, so much hype, you know, around digital health. And we've sort of seen the market really sort of change you know, in the last couple of quarters, but over the last several years, I think there's been a lot of, there's a lot of hope that digital health can really address some of the fundamental challenges we have in healthcare. And I think the reason why there's hope is because the challenges in healthcare are so big. They are so overwhelming. How do we balance quality, cost, and access? And, and some would say those three things are sort of locked together. You can't sort of win it all. And um, so we have hope that digital, you know, can can move the needle. But it's not clear to me which digital effort is going to do the one. And so rather than put a hundred million dollars into one effort, like for example, a lot of people are looking at uh, predictive models in AI. But there, and I won't name names, but there's been a lot of big um, flameouts of of spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to do. It. It's really, really, really hard. And so right. I like the model of a lot of innovation, a lot of small innovation, see what works. Um, and in the end, we're only going to advance care for our patients if we can be evidence-based. I mean, we need to be innovative. We need to try things. And then we need to figure out what works and then do more of that and stop doing the things that don't work. What do you think is the next trend in digital health today? 
not in five years from now, because yeah. we'll get there, but today. So I think a lot of people are, I mean, it, there are some really interesting trends that I'm watching. The first would be, um, you know, how do you offer digital only care plans? Like how do you, you know, there, you're starting to see insurance companies and payers sort of look at things um, like a digital only health plan. I think that's, that's sort of intriguing to see. Again, I'd love to see, is it going to work? I don't know. Um, it's probably going to work for a very specific type of population, um, maybe not the entire. So that's that's one area that I think is really interesting. I think continuing to figure out um, how do we integrate all of the data that we're creating, you know, whether it's from wearables, from low patient monitoring, people being in the home. Um, it's clear that for a lot of folks, they're going to continue to have more consumerization of healthcare, and that means the patient being involved in her care. Being, you know, an active agent in that, I think a lot of people, and I think that's a that's a really really good thing. It does create so much information. But we already have a problem as physicians. I'll, I'll sit down to see a patient, and you know, we've now been on uh, our EMR for over a decade. So you can look at the. Um, there's a lot of information there. There's more information right. than I, I can't absorb all of it, and so right. trying. You know, that's going to get to your next question, I think. But um, looking at how do we empower our patients to have more agency and control over what they're doing, I think is a lot of what you're seeing in digital health today. Jim, it's time to play a fun game where you're going to be placing your digital bets. OK, I'm going to be naming a technology in healthcare, and you're going to tell me if it's bullish or bearish. Are you Ooh. familiar with the terms? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the terms and I'm trying to see how much I want to go on record for these things. We'll have fun. Oh, it'll be like a fast speed thing. All right. Oh, you good. ready? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Number one, telehealth. Telehealth. Um, uh, we've settled in. I mean, we're going to we're going to keep telehealth at around 15 to 18 percent of our visits. It's not going to be 90 percent. It's not going to go back to two. So I, I don't know. I'm neutral on that one. Neutral. OK, interesting. Number two, wearables. Wearables, um, I'm I'm uh, bearish. I think um, I'm you know I'm a huge. I actually have two wearables. I wear one at night, one of the day. So I love them personally. For me, it's just not going to deliver what we you know. It's great for consumers who want to to do their own data. We don't yet know really how to to make it make a meaningful impact on health. Okay. Number three, conversational AI. Conversational AI coming along. I'm hopeful um, for this, um, obviously, and, and I'm trying not to be biased by, the, by my own. That's host, okay. Um, but I think conversational <laughs> AI has come a, a good ways, still has a ways to go a little bit, particularly when you get into really healthcare things. But, um, you know, getting out of the tyranny of, of, for example, IVRs, right, and being able to get into something that's an interactive voice response for people who don't know, like, which is the, you know, press one for this, press two for that. So I think conversational AI, I'm uh, I'm bullish on. Okay, I didn't pay him to say that. I know you All right. Coral, <laughs> close to done. Uh, number four, remote patient monitoring. Remote patient monitoring, I am... Uh, uh, bull, bullish on if you are, you need to be in the right um, payment model, however, um, and really you need to be managing a lot of patient lives at significant, with significant financial risk. Um, and I, and I think that, um, you know, we, again, at the beginning of a conversation, we talked about the change management with technology. There is a ton of change management uh, attached to remote patient monitoring. I think there is a lot that we can do um, to help monitor our patients at home, keep them from coming back to the hospital because nobody wants to, I don't want my patients to come to the hospital when I'm sick. I don't want to go right. to the hospital. I want to stay at home. 
However, right. the change management is big and, and you need to have the financial incentives. I think that, that taking financial risk line up with sort of the clinical incentives and the change management. So only under certain circumstances. Okay. Interesting. Lastly, augmented reality. I'm, uh, I, I am, oh boy, I don't want to be too much of a curmudgeon, um, but I am, uh, uh, I think that there are, I'm going to be somewhat bearish because you want me to go fast, but there are some really interesting things that people are doing with uh, augmented reality. Um, for just one particular niche that I think is cool. Um, now I know it goes against the bearish, but for example, people with phantom limb pain, um, which is if you have an amputation, you can actually your brain can interpret pain in a limb that's not there anymore. It's a, it's a terrible uh, condition, very hard to treat. There are some really interesting things with augmented and virtual reality that actually can help rewire the brain to do that. So there are certain cognitive and, and um, um, uh, psychological impacts that, that they definitely helps with. So is it gonna change everything? No. Is it gonna dramatically change a few things? Yes. Very interesting. Is there any other technology you would add that has kind of a um, contemplation around it that has, you know, people are talking about not yet sure what's going on with it? You know, there's um, I think we're still uh, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think that we are okay. we are kind of swallowing in between consumerization, predictive algorithms. You know, you talked a little bit about robotic process automation or how do we automate work? Um What's interesting in healthcare is, and it, this is where I, I want to be both hopeful but also skeptical, is we look at other industries. Manufacturing would be a good example, or banking or finance, and we say, okay, what are technologies that have worked in those spaces? Can we adapt them to healthcare? What we find is the combination of the regulatory models, at least in the United States, um, Israel, y'all have a really impressive system going down there. Um, but in the U.S., we have a complex intersection of the regulatory model, the financial model, and the clinical model together, um, and maybe even the cultural models. And you put those four things together, and all of these things that work in other industries, we, we bring them into healthcare, and they oftentimes meet two of those, and then they kind of crash and burn with one or two of the others. And that's what is really, really hard. Um, you know, somebody once said, healthcare, who knew it was so complex? And uh, it is, um, you know, it, it is it is amazing, actually, the amazing thing is not that that uh, that the healthcare system is as convoluted and as clunky as it is, and it, it's terrible. Like I, I'm a patient, I really <laughs> do not enjoy navigating it. But if you look at every other industry that's tried to come in and fix it, they they actually are like, oh my gosh, this is we can't even operate in this. So um, I think we have to figure that out one of these days. But um, I have not yet seen anybody that has like the silver bullet. So in the interim, it's sort of trench warfare. How do we make every day a little bit better for our patients, a little bit better for our nurses, a little bit better for our physicians, for our employees. And that's where the victories come. If there's someone who's gonna do that, it's gonna be you. I'm sorry to break the news. <laughs> you are at the forefront. <laughs> and speaking of Jim, uh, you mentioned uh, you love mentoring and watching leaders grow. What is your best piece of advice for digital innovation executives? I, I think a couple of things. One is be realistic. Um, you know, I think you want to, there's so much, we kind of talked about this before, there's so much need. People want a solution to like, why are we, we have a lot of problems. People want a solution. It's, it's understandable why people would want uh, technology to provide that solution. And so 
Um, but at the same time, you can't get caught up in the hype. So how do you provide hope without dil diluting people um, is the first mm -hmm. piece. The second piece that I don't, I'm going to force into your, to your, into my answer is that as a leader, I think it's really, really important to build a team and let that team do what they do best. Um, if you're going to be a digital innovation executive or any executive, I'm, I strongly believe in not micromanaging your team, that instead you should remove the barriers that they're running into. You should guide them, you know, where they need help, but let them, you know, let them grow, let them um, feel mm -hmm. passion about what you feel passionate about. And then they go out and they accomplish what you want them to accomplish. And so that is, I think, one of the hardest things for people to learn that uh, in a world where you feel out of control, which we, I think many of us do, um, the paradoxical success, the more you'll have much more control if you let go uh, of the, the your team mm -hmm. around you and you let them do what they do best. I love that. Jim, I do want to know, what is a mistake that you've made in the past in your professional career that you look back on and kind of learn from today? Um, so two mistakes that I've made in my career. Um, one was in uh, a couple of decades ago, I had a chance to go to business school. Um, and I was so, and it was right at the end of my training. Um, I was so tired from my clinical and informatics training. I was just like, I, I want to just be done and, you know, get out into the world. That, that, that was a mistake um, because it really would have, you know, enabled, I mean, I ended up, I've had a lovely career. I've really enjoyed it. By the way, I went back to business school like last year, but, but that was one that really could have enabled me along the way. Um, the, that, that's probably the biggest one that I look back on. And, um, and I made a decision about, like I said, about a year ago to say, all right, it's time to, to, to patch that, uh, that mistake. And the second one, you know, this, the second one, I don't know if I want to go on record talking about, but how about this? Um, <laughs> I actually shared this just as, as for fun. Um, uh, I used to be the chair of a, a, of an informatics group called the society for imaging informatics and medicine. And at our annual meeting this year, we had a session where two leaders shared their biggest mistakes. Um, but in order to do that, I requested no recordings, no Twitter, nothing right? <laughs> so that we could be you know, authentic. But I will tell you, Right. Back in 2012, I made a big career shift and I um, had, um, you know, I kind of thought that I understood uh, the partners that I was getting involved with. And I and I didn't. Um, and that um, that that led to uh, a, a quick series of having to pivot to correct it. It actually mm -hmm. in the end, it was an it, it was a bumpy experience, but it wasn't a mistake in the sense that. I took a chance. Um, I sort of leapt, um, right. and then it has created so many of the opportunities that I've had today. That's why when I hmm. when you ask me, I don't know that it really is a big mistake. It it was a, you know a little bit bumpy, like I said, but I try to tell that to people because oftentimes what seems like a mistake in the short term, you can use to really transform your life. Um, if you get, you can obviously get mired down in uh, being yourself up around things, or you can fail to see how to turn it into an opportunity. But sometimes the biggest mistakes are when we get stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again, and we're afraid to change. Um, and that I think what I've tried to counsel, especially other physicians, um, we are trained, you know, we go to 
high school to go to college, college to go to medical school, medical school to risk. I mean, we're just on this conveyor belt. So we never have right. to take a big risk. Uh, it, by the way, it's hard to do that, but it's not risky per se uh, for many people. I know some people don't match. I don't want to take away from how hard it can be. But in terms of jumping into the unknown, um, that, that, can be, uh, that can be hard. And yet it's one of the most liberating and productive things that I've done is when I've been able to sort of take those types of risks, even when it initially didn't seem to turn out well. It shows you have strong character. It shows you have strong backbone to take a leap of faith because you trust that, you know, the, the, the ground you're on in order to take that leap and you learned to pivot. So even if it didn't go well, you took the pivot and that led to opening new doors. So I definitely don't see that as a mistake. Maybe I should reword that question next time because these aren't mistakes. These are just, you know, paths yeah. unwanted that end up being lessons. Um, cool. So Jim, my last question to you is, where is Dr. Jim Whitfield in five years from now in the industry? What is he doing? Who is he surrounded by? I really do think that we in the United States are facing some almost existential challenges with healthcare. Um, and I decided in this last year that I had two paths forward. One would be to pull back and say, somebody else uh, is going to have to be there at the table to, to, to fix this and really be there as we face some of these existential issues. Or I'm going to lean in and I need to, to be at the, you know, be one of the people making those, uh, making those changes. And I've decided it's the latter. I, I'm, so I think in five years, we're going to be really, um, I don't know what it is. I think that but there are going to be some kind of black swan events that are going to force us, at least in the U.S., to really look at how we're managing, you know, healthcare on a national level. And uh, I would love to be a part of that solution. I'm not going to be the only part of it, but I would like to be a part of the group that's figuring out a better way for us to deliver healthcare for our country. Amazing. I definitely see you there on June 29th. And five years from now, I hope to have you here telling us more amazing stories. So, Jim, with that, I want to thank you so much for your time. I'm going to let you go. I know you're busy. Uh, I do want to know if there's someone that you look up to or that you see as a trailblazer in the industry that you'd like to nominate to share their insights on the show as well. Um, sure. My One of my uh, good friends, Rush, Rasu Shrestha, you know, who's at Atrium down in North Carolina, is... Um, uh, has been he and I worked together for years. I look up to him. I oftentimes ask him for advice. So he's a phenomenal leader. Uh, much many more followers than me on Twitter. Amazing. Thanks again, Jim. Great. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you for listening to Patient Journey Pioneers, brought to you by Hiro. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform. See you on our next episode. <laughs>